There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Welcome to My Millennial Property. You're with John Pigeon and as always, Emily Wallace. I'm here and we're in the flesh. I can't believe it, John. After all this time, we are face to face. Unbelievable, isn't it? Yes. It's sort of weird. It is a bit strange, but that's okay. Um, I think it'll make for for a good podcast being able to actually see each other in the flesh. Absolutely. (laughs) And uh, we're also seeing a very special person today. She's back for the second time. We welcome uh, Kathy Stacey, co-director of Property Share Market Economics. So we're going to talk with Kathy uh, right away. Let's do it. Let's do it. Welcome back, Kathy. Thank you, John. Thank you, Emily. It's wonderful to be in the flesh. Yes, it is indeed. <laughs> and the people have spoken. Uh, there was rave reviews about uh, our first episode with you and a, a lot of information taken from it. And uh, yeah, that, that whole conversation around timing the market versus time in the market. And we've always said, haven't we, time in the market. You've just got to stay there for the long journey. Um, but your uh, episode more centralised around uh, the, the timing of the market. So we're going to expand on that a bit more. But um, maybe let's just give a recap. If you're a first-time listener and you've just landed on this episode, let's give a little bit of clarity on what we discussed last um, episode so that we can, uh, we can roll into a bit, a bit more depth. Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> you talk about you know time in the market and timing. I mean, imagine if you bought in the market at the very top before one of the busts that come and uh, you're in the market and you're in the market and it's going down and it's been down for years and then you think, oh, I've had enough now, so I get out and you've lost a lot of money. Then the market starts to come back up again and and then you think, well, this is no use. You know, I, I, I can't make any money. I make all the wrong decisions there are lots of people that do that, mm. and um, what what we do at Property Share Market Economics, and actually the people that I work with, Phil Anderson and uh, Akil Patel, the, the gurus of timing the market, is analyse cycles within the uh, economy that are led by real estate, and these cycles occur every eighteen, on average, every eighteen point six years. And so within that 18.6-year period, you have 14 years of strong economic growth. In the middle of that 14 years, around the seven-year mark, you have a short-term recession-type thing going on, and uh, but doesn't really affect property prices. Uh, but at the end of the 14 years, at that top, there is a four-year quite substantial economic recession down period and then it starts all over again and 
remarkably, these 18.6-year economic or real estate cycles have been in existence since around 1792. And it started in the US and Australia follows the US. Um, so that's a really quick recap mm. of yeah, that. Yeah, that's an awesome recap. And I think we spoke about it last um, episode. There's a few books that you can read if you're just uh, really intrigued by this and, and our two episodes aren't enough. And one of them was written by Phil, wasn't it? Yes, Phil Anderson, uh, he wrote The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking and he's analysed the beginning of this 18.6-year cycle way back to 1792 and every single cycle since then. So the data is quite clear. The data is right there in black and white. Uh, he's also taken the work of Homer Hoyt, who wrote a book in 1933, and it was Homer Hoyt who identified the specific drivers and indicators of these uh, cyclical periods of time. There's also Fred Harrison in the UK, Power in the Land, Boom Bust, those books. They're, they're brilliant to get. And if you do want to dive deeper, they're the books that I, that, that I started with mm. when I was learning and researching. So if you're a property nerd, in the show notes, yeah. we will put – and a property nerd's a good term. Right. Uh, I will put them – or we will put them in the show notes so that you can check out those books and do some deeper dive beyond this podcast. But I think that's a good summary of, of last time. And I think one of the key takeaways was I feel like a lot of people do focus on uh, getting into the market, which is, is a good thing, you know, getting in, but – most importantly, as you highlighted, Kathy, the point in which you get out of the market is also a timing factor, you know, in terms of looking at the cycles and maybe not selling out at the bottom if, if a rise is yet to come. And I think it's so often as humans, we focus on negatives, you know, when's the doubt, like everyone's like, oh, when's the market going to crash? No one's talking about, oh, how good is the market and it's rising? It's not a common sentence. So just to be careful as to your approach to the market and when you are buying in and when you're selling out. If you haven't listened to it, circle back to the, the most recent episode with Cathy and um, it'll make for some good listening. Emily, you make a really good point, this whole fear thing. And I have to make the point that uh, property markets and stock markets, they rise on the wall of worry. Mm. So when there's lots of worry around, markets are going up. Mm. When there's lots of um, hype about how great things are yeah. and how there'll never be a bust again, that, that's a sure sign of the top. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's yes. the old Warren Buffett quote, isn't it? Uh, what's that? Oh, he talks about... Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Buy, buy, yeah, he's got to recite the quote. Buy, buy when everyone's fearful and sell when everyone's something. Something like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, take, uh, um, the, the buy in boom selling gloom like we, yes. he does he's done the opposite for years and and done it extremely well um but traditionally that's what a lot of investors do and then they lose confidence and the merry-go-round continues yes well let, let me that, that that's exactly right let me give you some other examples so in in 2020 in january 2020 you had um former president donald trump with his state of the nation speech now i watched that it went for two, two and a half hours, something like that. And it was all about how wonderful um, the economy is and how great things are. And it was just one big show of 
how fantastic things are. And what happened after that? We had the a major market panic, 40% decline and, and recession. Now, people say that that's because of the pandemic. Um, there has to be something that causes it. But actually, things were slowing down anyway. In 2019, it was quite clear that the economy was slowing. Perhaps another conversation, but I can mm. explain why. Now, going back further, when you had Barack, uh, former President Barack Obama, and uh, in the 2000 and I think 10 or 2011, might have been 2009, <laughs> one of those years, but that was at the bottom of the GFC Mm. And he was saying how gl- everything was gloom. Yeah. Everything was really gloomy, gloomy, gloomy. That's a technical term. Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, like, like the weather outside yeah. us today. <laughs> but that was the bottom, okay. Yeah. So if you listen to that, you would be running the other way. You mm. would not be an investor. But that was actually marking the bottom and the markets went up from there. Yeah. But but as a savvy investor wouldn't or a sophisticated investor wouldn't you say well okay if if the signs are showing uh, rock bottom that's the best time to get in that's or do what you I'm think, saying yeah but do you think emotional people think oh no it's going to go further oh that's right that's mm. exa- that's exactly right so there's there's these graphs out there you know the investor graphs where where, where the market goes up and there's um, at the at the bottom, there's fear, 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 and then then there's excitement, and the market excitement, excitement as the market goes up, and then there's greed as the market then peaks, yeah. and then it comes down, and there's fear, 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 and you know that that kind of re- repeats itself. But going back to what Emily was saying, you know, you, it, it's do the opposite to what the crowd is doing. Yes, yeah. And and that's been been common over time, hasn't it? And as you said, back to the seventeen hundreds. Yeah, uh, hard th- to do isn't... though, John. Hard to do. You know, when everyone's getting in the market and you're not yet in, and you mm. think you're missing out, you get in. Right, that's the top. Yeah. Those people at the top, and then everyone's scared. Why are you getting in? You should. Why are you buying now? Oh, I wouldn't buy now. I wouldn't buy now. That's the time to get in, right? <laughs> well, and the commentary, as you mentioned before, Emily, like prices. Uh, they've had some magnificent price growth in a lot of regions in the last couple of years. So most of the commentary I'm hearing is it can't go on forever. There's got to be a ceiling. Things are overpriced. Um, when's it going to bust? Those sort of things. So it, it's really timely that we have these conversations because it's preparing our listeners for the next journey, uh, the next five years, the next 10 years, and get them to understand not just tomorrow, next week, next month, but the next uh, 10 years for them. Yes. So um, the other thing that we covered in the first episode and Emily asked, where are we now in that 18.6 year period? And we're just coming out of the middle of the first 14 years up, just coming out of the middle, the, the, the middle of the short, the short term recession type period. And it's typically where land uh, values, they, they're they not affected by the recession. The recession's more economic and share market-based. Um, we're just coming out of that and we're going into the second half of this 14 years up. And the second half is always, history shows, the last 200-odd years, the second half always has a greater lift in assets and including property. Now, the other thing history also shows is that those um, regional areas are the ones that pick up the value the greatest. 
in the first half it's the more CBD areas and then the second half it's the regional areas. And and it's it's happened very fast actually coming out of this particular mid-cycle recession that we've been in. Mm. Um, and that's due to the, the pandemic and due to lockdowns and so forth. But it's occurred all around the world mm. where these property values have just skyrocketed. But that's not doesn't mean to say it's going to end anytime soon. Yeah, so so based on I'm no mathematician, but four years from now makes it uh, well basically the end of twenty five, start of twenty six, right? So you're saying um, the end of the eighteen point six will will be around about that time uh, where we start to see some sort of slowdown. The um, it, it, we're expecting if history does repeat that the U.S. land values will top in 2026. Mm. That's the top. And then start to come down after that. And then the share market will top after that and then start to come down. And not a none of this being a short-term decline, being a substantial end-of-cycle decline. Right, and so, Australia follows that. So from Australia perspective, the um, Australia's share market pretty well does what the US does, um, especially at the major market moves, the major the, the major moves up and the major moves down. In between that, there can be some slight differences, but like at the end of cycle, we would expect, as it has every other cycle, for the Aussie uh, stock market to top the same time as the US and come down. However, land values or property prices in, in different parts of Australia – they don't go on the same cycle as the US. So uh, I would expect, again, if history is to repeat, the Aussie land values to keep going up until around 2027 and then probably have a bit of, you know, come down after that with everything else. Mm. Just before we go to a break, one question I can probably hear ticking over in the listeners' minds is if there's going to be a drop in 2027 or thereafter – should I still buy in now? Like, I think the question is, if I buy in now, will the growth continue, continue, continue? Uh, and as the drop happens, will those prices go below what today's prices are? Because there are a lot of people who are like, well, I'm not in a rush. I want to buy at the right time. Mm. Now, 2027, that's five, six years from now. That's a fair wait time. Mm. Would it be beneficial to wait? Or do you feel it's still better to get on in while you can. Yeah, look, um, there's, there's real opportunities right now. Mm. And um, some of what you're asking, I can't answer. Like, I, I can't say to you that uh, there's going to be a 50% decline in property prices at the end of the decade. Yeah. No, no, one, no one really knows that. No. It has happened in the US. Yep. It might happen here. I don't know. It really depends how governments handle things. Um. But right now, there's opportunities to take. And we believe, our, our team believes that we are actually at the beginning of perhaps one of the biggest asset booms mm. that we've ever seen. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. Yeah. Um, so if there are opportunities out there, then uh, there's no, no reason to hold back. Mm. If, if you hold off, that's okay as well. Yeah. Um, but then... Uh, hold off until the bottom. Yes. You know, don't get excited and mm. think, oh, gosh, 
maybe the market doesn't start coming down to 2028 and Cathy said 2027. Yeah. I better get in then, right? <laughs> What's Cathy's phone number? Yeah, so, so it could be like nine, ten years away and the bottom is still higher than what today's uh, yes. current prices are at. Yes, we would say that a, a higher low. Mm. Yes. Yeah, it could still be a higher low, absolutely. Yeah. So you potentially risk doing nothing for 10 years and going back. Still paying more, yeah. 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 That's what I was trying to get at. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we've got more questions for you, Kathy. I think there's endless questions for you, but we'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So, Kathy, we're going to go a little bit deeper now, so listeners strap in. We want to talk about the law of economic rent. Now, when you messaged me this through the week, I was uh, really excited because I wish I'd studied more about economics at school. Um, tell me, let's elaborate. Tell us what that means to our listeners and what it means to markets in general. Well, I, I applaud you, John, because when we spoke about the law of economic rent some time ago, um, you were open to learning about it. Now, I've raised the law of economic rent with other property people mm-hmm. and they're not interested. They don't. And why? Well, I'll, I'll, uh, why? Yeah, good question. <laughs> Ignorance, I think. Okay. Ignorance. Okay. So, you know, let, let me explain this by asking the question or, or, or covering it off with the question of, why, why is it that property keeps increasing in value but our wages don't or our wages do but at a really lower rate? So slow. Mm. Yeah. Well, that relates to the law of economic rent. And the law, it's, it's, a, it's a law of nature. It's like the law of gravity. In the law of gravity, you throw something up and it has to come down. Mm. Well, this is exactly like the law of economic rent. And that is when there are gains in society – economic gains, when there's um, people that want to live in an area and there's uh, economic flow in that area, there's production in that area, there's money flowing in the area, when the economy and when there's money flow that is over and above 
what someone needs to pay to live, Mm -hmm. what someone needs to live to survive. When there's money around that is over and above that, that value goes straight into land. So the land takes up all of that economic surplus, Mm -hmm. you could say. That's the law of economic rent. And you could say, okay, well, that's just locational value, but it's locational value because of the law of economic rent that is going to happen every single time. Mm. When there is surplus within the economy, it will go straight into land values. So it's like, you know, you know you've, if, if you are in an area where there's uh, lots of jobs, there's high incomes, there's public transport, there's good roads and there's good education and hospitals and there's money flowing through the area, those areas are going to have higher land values than an area with low employment. There'll be schools there, there might be a hospital, there might be some public transport, but if there's not as much economic flow, those land values will be lower. Mm. So that's the law and it will keep going up. Land is designed to to keep going up in value. It just always will. Now, where the problem comes is who captures that surplus, you know, and we do as private citizens. The the law allows private citizens to capture that surplus. And in addition to that, we've got banks who then, uh, their business is to create credit so that we can keep privately owning land. Mm. And because we can get more and more credit, the lands keep, the land and properties keep increasing in value. And it gets to such a point where there's way too much credit, the property values are way, way too high than what they should be, and it all comes crashing down. So that's, that relates to these, the booms and then the busts. Now, going back to the point of wages and why don't wages uh, increase at the same rate? And that comes back to taxes. So here's an example. So, John, you, you own a property. It's worth $100. Emily, uh, in your job, you've got her $100 that she's earned with her wage. So, Emily, you have to pay $10 of that to the government for your tax, yeah, and the government will then spend that money on roads and hospitals and schools and things. Um, so because you've spent, given the, the uh, government, you know, that $10, what what's that $100 worth to you now? 90? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's a trick question or not. I mean, put on the spot yeah. here. <laughs> so, John, you know, your, your, your property's gone up by $100. So... Um, how much do you, of that do you give to the government? Well, at the moment, I don't give them anything until I sell it. There you go. So what's your $100 worth to you? $100. That's right. Mm. So what gets taxed reduces in value. Mm. Yeah? What gets taxed reduces in value. So if we avoid tax, we get wealthy. <laughs> Is that what you're saying, Kathy? Yeah. And how do you avoid tax? <laughs> By owning land. Correct. Yeah. And holding it. And that is why. Okay, so if, you, if you're a taxpayer and you don't own land, you are contributing to all those landowners increasing mm. their net wealth. 
So good on you, Emily. Your ten dollars has actually uh, given been given to John here, Thanks, and his hundred dollars is now worth one hundred and ten dollars. <laughs> and you have gone; you've decreased your net wealth. Yeah. Yeah. So there becomes a divide in the community, divide in society, because. The old saying, rich get richer, poor get yeah. poorer, is evident in that example, right? Yes. Well, mm. it's, it's, it's really quite, quite basic. Yeah. Mm. And it doesn't have to be that way. There are some countries that don't operate like that. Yeah. Um, uh, where the, uh, someone's, the income is, uh, the taxes on income are low. Yeah. Um, and then they also pay, pay the government for the land that they live on, like a, a rental fee for the land that they live on. Like Singapore is one of those countries. Yeah. So when, when you say land, what you're referring to is, is not just raw dirt that um, people farm, that, that's part of it, but you're saying land that's got a residential dwelling on it, a commercial dwelling on it, or uh, multiple apartments or units. I'm talking about the dirt, mm. John. I'm talking about the land, the plot of land where the house sits on um, because it's it's the location of that land because, you know, you can't pick up – you can pick the house the, the house on top, you can pick that house up and mm. you can move it anywhere you want mm. but you can't pick that piece of land yeah. up and move it anywhere. In that prominent position yeah, that it's, it's located in. It's, it, it's mm. there. It's, mm. You can't move it. So it's the land location and it's, that's where the value is, is in the land location. The house depreciates in value, mm. doesn't it? You know. <laughs> in, interesting, when I was driving here this morning, mm. um, Lewis Hamilton, the F1 driver, mm-hmm. he's just sold his uh, penthouse in the New York for seventy million dollars, oh. seven zero, seven zero. Mm. Yeah. So, whilst he didn't own, he he owned a very small portion of that land, but it just so happens that that location is far superior to most areas around the world. Yes. Hence its value. That's right. Yeah. And so it's a penthouse, so it's up high. Mm. So the other the other natural resource that you can't ignore in that situation is the is the view, the air around, the airspace around. And that's also becoming a commodity and people paying for their airspace. I've heard about this. Yeah. So we've got to be careful. You know, these natural resources that really should belong to everyone on earth mm. are being privately owned. Now, listeners, if you can get your head around that, that's something that is actually created by nature can be privately owned. People will put value on that mm. because they want to privately own it. Mm. And uh, when there's no taxes or very small taxes related to it, that's what's going to go up in value. Mm. But it's also what causes inequality in our in our cities and our, our worlds and um, also is what creates the booms and the busts. Mm. So that's why you've got to know the timing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And one way that the government have thought about changing all of that is to uh, put apply capital gains tax to people's owner-occupier homes, which is not the case today. Mm. So some of that, if they sell their owner-oc, the tax goes back into society. Um, but... The issue with that is people might just stay put and then there's no transaction of property to begin with, which is even worse. Stagnant yeah. market. Nothing, mm. If nothing moves, if everyone's happy where they are and mm. no one changes or they just improve where they are rather than 
upping and leaving yeah. for the sake of a capital gains tax bill, which is fair enough. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's it's mean, a big difference, big, isn't big it? Big change. Kath, do you talk about uh, household income versus household debt as a as a ratio or a percentage? Do you delve into those examples, or is it just the broader figure of economic rent? Because I'll, I'll I'll give you an example. Because okay. because I talk to clients about well. What's your household income? Let's say Emily's on $100,000, right? And she, her household debt on her own or occupied, provided that she's living in her own home, is a million dollars, right? So that ratio is one to 10, okay? Now, banks apply ratios when they're lending money to us, mm-hmm. right? But from what I'm hearing with the, the law of economic rent, the once that debt gets to a point where it's probably about 30%, which is mortgage stress, uh, they'll stop lending money. And if interest rates rise, then we've got a disaster on our hands for people that leverage too high to begin with. So are you asking in terms of timing? In terms of timing, correct. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, no. No, there's, um, you know, throughout history, there are specific indicators that that always show up during this, on average, 18.6 year uh, period of time. And um, these particular indicators, they, they occur like clockwork. And the ratio of income to debt is not one of them. Right. Yeah, okay. they're smoke and mirrors. Yeah. However, I can say, I can say that with the analysis that we've done in, in terms of, well, um, we've still got, you know, five or so years left of growth or six years left of growth here, how can things, you know, yeah. how can property prices get higher and higher and wages not really keep up with it? You know, the, the, the research that we've done is that the mortgage affordability is Perhaps uh, the lowest it's been in 30 years. Um, it's around 25%, you know, and uh, it was like 54% um, 30 years ago. Mm. Uh, in addition to that, um, you, we've got the banking sector uh, that uh, are actually preparing to create more credit, you know. So <laughs> you, we've got really affordable mortgages. Uh, and we've got the banking system who are designed to create credit because they earn their income from uh, the, the, the principal and the interest payments. That's how they earn their income from the creation of this credit. So they're designed to do that, and, and our whole economy is really uh, built on that system. So there is more room to grow. Uh, sorry, there's more room for more credit to be created um, uh, until it does stop and that will, and I'm not going to say it might, I'm going to say it will be <laughs> uh, after 2027. Mm, okay. Let's go one more time. Uh, one last question for you and it's on the topic of APRA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how, how big a part do they have to play in, in this whole um boom and bust cycle. Okay, that's the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority. Yes. So they um, they kind of dictate to the banks, you know, what their, their policies. 
And um, interestingly, 2017 and 2018, the uh, APRA was requiring of the banks to increase their, their their balances, their what's called capital ratios, their capital adequacy. It's their buffer. Um, so if there was a financial downturn, do the banks have enough to remain solvent, you know, to pay their bills and mm. pay who they need to pay? Do the banks have enough? And so they required the banks to increase their capital adequacies to around 14.5% with the view to increasing it to around 19.5%, which is huge, right? Jump. Huge, huge, huge. Um, now, they base this on an international standards uh, called ba- Basel and Basel standards, B-A-S-E-L standards. And that actually made it harder for the banks because they had to to get this capital to store away um, in case there was financial stress. Um, so what's just recently occurred um, uh, with, the, with APRA is they've not requiring the banks to increase to this 19% mark. What they've actually done is they've enabled the banks to decrease down to 10.5%. Right. It's a big swing in the other direction, isn't it? It's a big swing in the other direction, and that is the international standards. Now, that means then that our banks have excess capital, oh. excess Lend. capital, and that means that they have more ability to create more credit because mm. yep. they have excess capital on their books. Do, do you think that's a – because maybe APRA's standards were in response to 2011 – um, and the and the bust and the disaster that occurred in America, do you think dropping it to ten percent has that potential for that to happen again? Yeah, oh, this is so such an interesting conversation. Um, yes, it did started to increase after the GFC, but you know, in, in Australia, remember we had the Royal Commission into Banking mm. that started in you know, two thousand eighteen. Yep. Um, th- it was really in response to that because the banks were caught out doing naughty things. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, 2018 and first half 2019, property prices in Melbourne and Sydney were heading downwards. So it was in response to the Royal Bank, Banking Commission. Um, and now, you know, the banks have proved that they can support mm. the public during the yep. pandemic. And reliable. Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> they've been stress tested and yep. they've... They've got through and they are unquestionably strong. So that's a technical term. They, they call it they are unquestionably strong banking system. But studies have shown that it doesn't matter what capital ratios banks have. When there's a financial crisis, they all go down. They all suffer. Mm. And actually um, with a decrease in capital ratio – it just it just that gives the banks more more reason and um, more excuse you could say, but more reason to create more credit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, so you know, it doesn't actually matter yeah. <laughs> what capital ratios they have. Uh, when it all comes down, uh, it, it it no matter what the banks have. Now, I'm not saying that in the crash that's coming, our banks will falter. You know, we do we do have good strong banks, but um, if you hear in the media that we have an unquestionably strong banking system, 
just be be wary about that. Yeah. Um, and and there are things that you can do leading into this the peak to protect the money you have in your in your bank, mm. um, which we won't go into now. But there are things that you can do. Yeah. Okay. Mm. That was yeah. a learning curve for me. I didn't know any of that. Mm, I'm just sitting here nodding along going like, I thought that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think since we've re-engaged in this type of conversation, Kathy, in the last maybe three years or so, I've found it intriguing. And you, and you do read articles, you you listen to, to things in a different light. And, I, and and that's, I suppose, what we're asking our listeners to do is just just think outside the square a little bit and just take in little bits of information and understand what that might be meaning mm. um, and whether there's hidden agendas in there and uh, smoke screens and all those sort of things. But, yeah, we, we'd like to obviously bring content that allows our, our listeners to, to grow and learn to, uh, to, to, to be able to make better decisions. Well, I, again, I do applaud you guys for doing that because, you know, like you said last time, John, you, you've invited me here to talk to your listeners about this. And typically we, we, we share this information to our, our members, our property share market economic members that come to us mm. when people are ready to hear it, yeah. when they're curious to hear it, when they uh, are looking outside and thinking, nothing this makes sense to me, I've got to learn a little bit more. Mm. When they're curious enough, they come to us to yeah. learn and because and, you've got to be ready to learn this. Mm. It's all there for you, um, all this information, but it's not it's not in your face. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you're not standing with a placard out on St Kilda Road there with a sign saying, yeah. come join us. <laughs> or, or opening up your phone in the headlines, you know. Yeah. It's not right there in front of you. Yeah. The media will tell you what what it, they're perhaps told to tell us. Yeah. Yeah. I no, get it. Makes sense. Well, if you didn't listen to the original episode we did with Kathy, now would be a good time to flick on over back to that one and check it out. Um, Kathy, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to hear from you again and learn more. I learn more by talking to you and I'm sure the listeners are grateful for that as well. So thank you so much for jumping on board again in the flesh. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Emily, and thank you, John. Thank you, Kath. Until next week, we'll speak soon. Okay, bye. bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.